When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. One. But I'm working out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon. Dale Earnhardt Jr. It is Tuesday, December 26th, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody had a great Christmas holiday. I know I said it before the holiday, but I hope you spent time with loved ones, with friends, with family. You ate good food. You drank good drinks. And oh, by the way, I hope you missed Taurus because I am back, baby. And we got ourselves a brand new episode. And let's not beat around the bush. We're previewing the college football playoff and we're previewing all the major bowl games. Today's show's pretty straightforward. We're going to open those two college football playoff semifinals, Michigan, Alabama, Texas, Washington. Then from there, we'll jump into the Orange Bowl, Florida State, Georgia. We'll jump into Ole Miss versus Penn State in the Peach Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, which I think is sort of must win for Ryan Day, the Alamo Bowl with Arizona, Oklahoma, on and on and on. So make sure to download, make sure to subscribe. I appreciate your support. By the way, Scouts Honor. Torres always tells the truth. Some of this was taped before the Christmas holiday, so there may be an opt-out or two that has changed in the last couple days. But here's the bottom line. The picks ain't changing. Torres is batting a 1,000 on his picks. I'm getting all these right. I didn't really bet a 1,000. Disclaimer, I did not bet a 1,000 during the season. But with that said, we got to get to some bowl game previews. Let's jump in. There is no more time to waste. Let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is we are looking at college football's postseason. Let's do it. We have two great semifinals. So let's dive into the first one. Alabama, the four seed, playing number one, Michigan. Uh, Michigan is a one and a half point favorite of the DraftKings Sportsbook. The over under set at 44 and a half. So many thoughts. Let's dive in. The first thought, though, is pretty straightforward. How lucky are we as college football fans? Just think about what I just said. Alabama, Michigan, Rose Bowl, San Gabriel Mountains, college football playoff semifinal, Harbaugh, Saban. By by the way, I should mention, as I'm recording here, uh, there's talk that Harbaugh could sign an extension. $55 million five-year deal is on his desk as we speak. So Harbaugh might be signed, sealed, and delivered by the time this game gets kicked off. And so I want to jump in. I want to dive in, uh, but I'm so excited about this game. And I think what stands out to me is a few things before we even jump into the preview. One, um, the, the, the way these two teams are coming into this game. Okay. I think you could argue that Alabama is playing as good a football as anybody in college football right now, regardless of seed, regardless of rating, regardless of conference, whatever. I've said it many times. What Nick Saban has done, what Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator, I don't believe he's getting enough credit, has done is one of the best coaching jobs that I've ever seen. And I know nobody's going to throw a a parade for Nick Saban. He has the most talented roster in college football. But you look at where this team was against Texas and more specifically against South Florida. Think about how bad they were so bad against South Florida. They started a kid who is literally quitting football. That's what's going on. Tyler Buckner just entered the transfer portal as a lacrosse player. That's all you need to know. That's where Alabama was in September. And yet all season long, all they have done is get better week over week over week. Ole Miss. I don't think a lot of people thought they were going to win that game. They win that game, but it's close. 
Then that close win against Texas A&M. Then a little bit of a bigger win against Tennessee. Then you beat LSU. And by the time you play Georgia last week, your confidence is through the roof. Uh, Nick Saban said it after the game. I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, they they said they asked him if it was his best coaching job ever. He said, no, this is the best job my assistants have ever done. This is the best job my team has ever done in buying in. And you could just see the happiness in Nick Saban's face. I know he's getting older. I know this ain't, you know, peak 2009 Saban where he's yelling and screaming about everything. But you could see how much he appreciates this group for buying into the vision, for trusting the process, and for appreciating him and trusting him to get them here. From the Michigan perspective, listen, um, they've dealt with so much. I think it's hard to gauge where they are because like, like, it's easy to say they're not playing their best football. But are they not playing their best football because they're regressing? Or are they not playing their best football because they've played some really good teams late in the year? Respectfully, playing Rutgers and Minnesota and whoever early in the year is a lot different than closing at Penn State, at Maryland, Ohio State, Iowa on a neutral. Same time, obviously, look, they, they, they haven't been elite offensively. They have not really gotten it going offensively. But to their credit, they are here. And that's all that matters. Undefeated Big Ten champs, 13-0. And listen, I know some will disagree with me. Some might even get mad at me for saying this. I don't think there's any asterisks. If you thought that Connor Stallions was the reason that they won the last two Big Ten championships and beat Ohio State the last two years, that's certainly your prerogative. But Connor Stallions hasn't been there half the year. The toughest schedule was played without him in the building. Heck, the toughest part of the schedule was played without Jim Harbaugh in the building, and Michigan finds themselves here. Now, in the terms of the lead up to this game, a couple things kind of kind of jog my memory. And I think this is kind of important to at least discuss. Jim Harbaugh's bowl record versus Nick Saban's bowl record. And again, we're jumping around, but I'm just kind of trying to give you my first thoughts on these games. Jim Harbaugh has not been good in bowl games at Michigan. Okay. So he won his first bowl game. I think it was 2015 was his first year. Okay. But he wins his first bowl game. And since then, he has lost six straight postseason games, bunch of non-playoff games in the early years. And then, of course, most recently, uh, you lose to Georgia two years ago in the playoff. No shame there. Georgia was incredible. And then you lose also to TCU last year in that game. Total debacle, pair of pick sixes for J.J. McCarthy, touchdown overturned, everything that could go wrong did, okay? Nick Saban, on the other hand, he's basically lights out when he has time to prepare. And I think that's an important thing to think about when you think about this game. Hardball with time to prepare has not been good. Maybe time to overthink, over game plan, think too much. They do all these weird trick plays, whatever. Saban's the opposite. This is now his ninth college football playoff. If my, if my bookkeeping is correct, he has gone seven and one, maybe six and one. I, I don't know, but he's only lost. He, he's won uh, either six or seven opening college football playoff games during the playoff era. The only time that he did not win the first game of the college football playoff was the first year against Ohio State, uh, Cardale Jones, Ezekiel Elliott, etc. So basically, every time that he's been in the playoff the last decade, he wins that opening game. He is one of the best coaches with time to prepare. In terms of the matchup on the field, listen. My thought is the thought of a lot of you guys and girls that have obviously consumed this sport all fall long. I think it's going to be a defensive struggle, and I think both offenses are going to struggle to move the ball. From the Michigan perspective, again, I don't know if it's because they're not playing their best football or because they're just facing better defenses. That's kind of a fascinating question. But the numbers do kind of speak for themselves, right? I mean, you look at the last four games that they've played. Last week against Iowa, 213 yards of total offense. They were outgained a few weeks ago by Ohio State. They, of course, had those 32 straight runs against Penn State. And so you sit there and say, this offense is, doesn't really feel right. But then the inverse of it is kind of the opposite. They faced three of the best defenses in college football. Penn State, number one total defense in all of college football. Michigan wins. Ohio State, number three total defense in all of college football. Michigan wins. Iowa, number five total defense in all of college football, Michigan wins. So is it that their offense is regressing or have they just faced really good teams? Ultimately, though, it doesn't really matter because this Alabama defense is awesome as well, especially against the run where Michigan wants to make their, hey, 33rd ranked run defense 
in college football for Michigan, for Alabama. And they've, of course, faced some great run offenses, whether it is Georgia, whether it is Tennessee, whether it is Texas, on and on and on. I think for Michigan, the key to this game, hey, everyone talks about J.J. McCarthy. Are they going to be able to get any sort of consistent run game going? Because at the end of the day, remember, I think it's easy to forget. We just we just lump all of these Michigan teams together. This Michigan team does not run the ball nearly as effectively as they have in previous years. Uh, keep in mind that this is a team uh, that ranks 50th, 5-0 in total rush offense this year. That ain't going to get the job done about out against Alabama. From the Alabama perspective, though, I will say this. Listen, every week they've gotten better, and we have to give them so much credit. But I need, we need to be careful about giving them too much credit offensively. Because like I said, Alabama did, I thought, control that Georgia game basically from start to finish. It was a three-point final differential, but I thought Alabama controlled the game. But I bring it up because if you look at the offensive stats, it's not as though they lit up the field or lit up Georgia. Georgia actually had more total offense. Georgia actually had more total passing yards, 243 to 192 for Jalen Milrow. Alabama did have more rushing yards, but Alabama only averaged 2.8 yards per carry in that game. And so I look at that Alabama team and I sit there and say, listen, we're all wondering how Michigan's going to be able to move the ball against Alabama. Well, don't forget that Michigan had the number two total defense in college football, the number six rush defense in college football, and in terms of yards per carry allowed, the number six rush defense in terms of yards per carry allowed as well. And so I could go on and on. But I think if you are listening to this, you kind of know where I lead at this point. I actually like the under as, as low as it is. I think the under is probably the right side in this game at 45 and a half. Because I look at this game. First of all, Michigan, like, first of all, I think it's interesting. Neither of these teams really cares about scoring. Like, like they are perfectly content, uh, 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 you know, rel uh, uh, relying on the defense, not trying to do too much, all that good stuff. But on top of that, they're both elite run defenses. Both teams want to run the football. And it's not like either team at any point, at least when they face good competition, has lit up the scoreboard. Michigan, I just talked about, but Alabama, look at their scores, 27-24 against Georgia. That's a great win but they didn't light up the scoreboard 27, 24 against Auburn. We know how that one went, you know, 24 to 21 against Arkansas, 26 to 20 against Texas A&M 24 to 10 against Ole Miss. And so I just bring it up to very simply say, we got to give Alabama credit for being here, but I am not sold that this is going to be a game where even with a month to get better in a month to prepare that they just move the ball up and down the field. So right now the lean the strongest bet is the under in this game. Uh, I think it's 20 to 17-ish either way. I think 24 to 20 is the peak of what we get because, again, it's not just that neither of the offenses is super explosive. They're both comfortable, both prefer to play low-scoring games and rely on their defense. Uh, and so I do think that I would expect a low-scoring game there. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, let's get to the second semifinal. Uh, and I know I just said that Alabama-Michigan, close, low scoring, fun. We'll see what happens there. Don't think we got to worry about that in Texas, Washington, the Sugar Bowl. Texas is a four-point favorite in this game. The over-under, 64 points 
according to the DraftKings Sportsbook. Now, before we get into the, uh, the, the, the preview, a couple things stand out. One, it is worth noting, there are a couple interesting off-the-field storylines. One, Steve Sarkeesian obviously uh, coaching against his former team. Now, it's been a long time. It's not like he has players that he recruited or whatever, but that's kind of interesting. But I think what's much more interesting is that these two teams actually faced each other uh, a year ago in the Alamo Bowl. A lot of the same players that were on the field last year are on the field this year. Michael Penix, Quinn Ewers, a lot of the defensive guys on both sides. And so it's interesting because last year, that Washington win, I thought really propelled them into this season. Um, And obviously with the Texas loss, they went eight and five and you kind of said, okay, they're improving, but do they really deserve this college football playoff buzz? Well, it turns out they did as they are here. And really, as I look at this game, I think that's the place that I need to start. If you listen to last week's show, I don't want to say I was wrong about both teams because Washington, I thought, would be close and high scoring, and it was. But I was dead wrong on Texas. So for all the Texas fans, all up in my mentions, all the comment sections, you guys and girls were right. I was wrong. I got to own it. When I looked at Texas coming into that Big 12 championship game, I said, are we sure they're that good? Are we sure they are as good as they looked against Texas Tech, a bad team when they put up 57 points? Or is it possible that that was a one-game aberration uh, and that they played a lot of close games throughout the year, whether it was Kansas State, TCU, Houston, etc.? Well, we have our answer. The Texas Tech game was not an aberration, as you could argue that Texas was as impressive as anybody last week in championship week. I'll tell you, it's crazy. I was actually traveling on Saturday. I boarded my plane right around the time that this game kicked off. By the time that I got on the plane and got enough Wi-Fi to actually watch this game, Texas was already up 21-0. And really, not only were they up 21-0, but it was never even close. It was never even competitive. You're facing a nine-win Oklahoma State team, a team that beat Oklahoma earlier this year. And you put up... 662 yards. Quinn Ewers throws for 452 yards. And I think this is an important part of this conversation about Texas. They ran the ball very effectively. Now, Oklahoma State is not elite defensively. But at the same time, remember, Texas was without Jonathan Brooks, a guy that many had trending as a potential first round running back, one of the best running backs in the NFL draft this year. Texas still rushed for 198 yards on five yards per carry, 49 points. And let's be honest, if you watch this game, you know they took their foot off the gas very early in the second half and just cruised to victory. So I bring it up because I was wrong on Texas. And I'll say this, wasn't America wrong on Washington? Like I can say, I don't ever remember a single game. I said this to a buddy this week. I said, I don't remember a single game that I can ever remember a rematch in which there was one team in college football that was undefeated, that had a head-to-head win over an opponent, and that had no major injuries, and was still a full double-digit underdog in that game. And so why I took the over, I missed by a point and a half, as opposed to the spread, I said, listen, I think Oregon's going to win. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I picked Oregon to win outright. But at the same time, or that I picked Washington to win outright, excuse me. But at the same time, I said, Washington's competitive. Washington, like, like they're not just going to roll over because Oregon's a 10-point favorite. And as a matter of fact, that's great bulletin board material. Now, in terms of that game, I will say, and I know I want to start previewing Washington, Texas, but I think there is an important theme that I took out of that game. It is this. It is that I think everybody thinks of Washington, the number one pass offense in college football. And they say, oh, they're soft. They just Chuck the ball all over the field like they're, a, you know, a Mike Leach air raid team or whatever. But what I've noticed, and by the way, shout out Mike Leach, rest in peace, love the guy, whatever. But you get the point. Lincoln Riley may be the better example. Well, you know, they just, you know, Washington just throws the ball all over the field. Well, what I would say about Washington that I think stands out to me is that every time that they face a physical team, a team that we think, oh, they're going to bully Washington in the trenches. Washington always has that answer for them. When it comes time to getting physical, beat Oregon earlier in the year, beat Oregon last week in a game where they rushed for close to 200 yards against the Oregon Ducks. By the way, the Utah game a few weeks ago, I know Utah didn't finish strong, 
Utah got shut out in the second half and Washington pulled away because Washington punked them at the line of scrimmage. And so that is something we have to consider here because the early analysis that I have seen is, well, you know, I mean, Texas, they, they got so many NFL guys up front and they got so many this and they got so many that and they're so physical. It's like, yeah, so was Oregon. That's why everybody picked Oregon to win. So I think that's part of it. Washington, can they match the physicality of a Texas team, which is elite on both lines? A Texas team, which has the number four run defense in all of college football, but also a very good run offense as well in the top 25 nationally. That's one. I think they can. Two, the bigger question, which everybody wants to know. Can either team stop the other team's passing attack, right? Because Michael Penix might be a first round pick this year. Quinn Ewers will probably be a first round pick, whether it's this year or next year, whenever he ends up declaring. And overall, not only are these two of the elite pass offenses in college football, uh, Washington, number one in the country in passing offense, Texas, number uh, 19 in the country in pass offense. Not only do they have NFL wide receivers, NFL, uh, you know, whatever. But the other thing is, is that both are clicking on all cylinders, right? You can be good at a thing over the course of the season. But at the same time, both these teams are playing great. What did I just say? Quinn Ewers, 462 yards passing last week for the Texas Longhorns. That is insane. I don't care who the defense is. And then obviously Michael Penix speaks for itself. And what's especially interesting about this game, and this is something I've heard a lot of people talk about, the strength of each team, the pass offense, is going up against the weakness of the other team. Texas with the 98th ranked pass defense in all of college football. Washington, by the way, are you ready for this? You think Texas is bad? Washington has the 122nd ranked pass defense in college football. And so on paper, listen, I think you could sit there and say, well, those are the two that that is the biggest weakness that anybody in this playoff has Washington secondary. And I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that they have Georgia's athletes or Alabama's athletes or whatever. But I also will be honest on one thing. I went ahead and kind of did a a real deep dive on this game because I want to make sure, is there something that I'm missing? Neither of these past defenses is good, but is there something more to it that I'm maybe not seeing? Well, I found this very interesting. Yes, Washington has the 122nd ranked uh, pass defense. Yes, Texas has the 94th ranked pass defense coming out of last week. But check this out. You know who had the most total passes thrown against them this year? It was the Washington Huskies. You know who was number four in the same category, most passes thrown against? It was Texas. And so something struck me. Are These, these secondaries aren't great. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say they're perfect. But is it possible? Are they that bad? Or have both of these teams been able to get up big in so many games it has led to other teams having to having no choice but to throw the ball against them. I'd add with Washington. Yes, they have the 122nd ranked pass defense, but also remember this. They face Caleb Williams, and you could criticize Caleb Williams. I thought he did everything he could to help elevate that USC team, and he didn't get any help around. They face Bo Nix twice. Uh, they face Cam Ward and Washington State, the number six total offense in the country. So yes, Washington's defense isn't great. Yes, their secondary is questionable but they also had more passes thrown against them by better quarterbacks than probably any secondary in college football. Texas, it's the same. Bad opponents, get up big, opponents are forced to throw the ball. And so I don't believe that either pass defense is as bad as people make it out to be. And here's the other thing. Texas finished the regular season, fifth in the country in interceptions, had a total on the season, of I believe it was, what, 18 interceptions total, if my, my my math is correct here, 16 interceptions. Fifth in the country with 16 interceptions. Washington tied for fifth in the country. In intercept- so the point I'm trying to make, both teams have a questionable secondary, but is it really questionable? Questionable. They First of all, they're, they're combined 25 and one, so that's worth noting. But two, on top of that, first and fourth most passes thrown against them, and they're both tied for fifth in interceptions as a secondary. And so when I look at this game, like the first one, I think it's close. I think it's back and forth. If I had to make a pick right now, I lean Washington because I'll just be honest. Washington plus the points feels good to me because at the end of the day, I keep telling you like, like, and I got to tell myself this, listen, I'm the guy that picked Washington to lose to Oregon state. 
I'm the guy that picked Washington to lose to Oregon. I'm the guy that picked Washington to struggle against Utah. There was another game. I can't remember. I think I picked USC to beat Washington outright. I keep picking against this team and they keep proving me wrong. And what I think we're seeing, Kalen DeBoer, he's not sexy. He's not a housewarm. I'm sure there's some ladies out there that would say he's sexy, but I'm talking about from a name brand perspective, not the sexiest name compared to Saban, compared to Harbaugh, compared to Sark, compared to Kirby, compared to Brian Kelly. All this guy does is win football games, people. 13-0 this year, 11-2 last year. I think they won their last six. I think they're on like an 18-19 game win streak coming into this playoff. By the way, his record at Sioux Falls when he was the head coach about a decade ago at the NAI level was like 60-6. and six. So this guy just wins games. And you give him a month to prepare. I like Washington. I think I like them to win this game outright. I certainly like them plus the points. It's worth noting this open at four and a half. So the early money coming in on Washington, but go ahead and give me the Huskies plus. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get to all of the big non-playoff bowl games. And I'll say this. I think some of these matchups are really, really, really intriguing. One I want to start with, it is the one that certainly there's a lot of controversy and a lot of anger and a lot of drama around it. I'm, of course, talking about the Orange Bowl that will be on December 30th. Uh, tw- uh, it's a 4 o'clock Eastern game, which I think is kind of interesting. Always think of the Orange Bowl as a night game, great crowd, loud crowd, maybe a few beverages before the game. But there's NFL that night, so it is a 4 p.m. Eastern start. Obviously, number 5 Florida State, number 6 Georgia. Georgia is a 14-point favorite in the DraftKings Sportsbook, the over-under set at 44 and a half. Now, coming into this game, you don't need me to tell you what this is all about and what the storyline is. And I think what's kind of crazy is, you know, Mike Norvell did a, a press conference earlier in the week, just so people know I'm recording here right before Christmas, so about eight, nine days before the game. And Mike Norvell did a press conference where he said, the wound is, is not healed. Like, we're still mad about this. And so, obviously, there's a lot of controversy, a lot of conversation about the fact that Florida State is not in the college football playoff as an undefeated ACC champion. We've been down that road. We're not going to relitigate it. But understand that Florida State is still mad. Now, it is worth noting from the Florida State perspective, there have already been a few opt-outs, and we're frankly probably expecting a few more. Uh, From the Florida State side, best running back Trey Benson has opted out. Best DN, Jared Verse, right before I started recording, has opted out. He's probably a first-round draft pick. Uh, Johnny Wilson, the wide receiver, has opted out. No word yet on Keon Coleman, which is kind of interesting. Uh, But on a positive note, I think you do get back that second-string quarterback in Tate Rodemaker. The third stringer, of course, uh, was playing in that ACC championship game. Kind of interesting from the Georgia side of things, there was kind of some anger from them as well following the announcement of the playoff four. Now, after the SEC championship game, Kirby Smart went to the podium. If it's about the four best teams, you got to include us. I don't even think Kirby Smart really believed that. But obviously, the Florida lawmakers are kind of suing the NCAA or suing whoever. I saw some Georgia lawmakers get in there. But now Georgia has to regroup. (laughs) Obviously, they're not changing the college football playoff this year to include these teams. And Georgia has to regroup, and they're kind of in an interesting spot. I think from a positive perspective side, Carson Beck is uh, not only playing in this game, but he announced that he's coming back. But on the negative side, by the way, as far as opt-outs are concerned, uh, kind of interesting. Brock Bowers hasn't officially announced one way or the other yet. Kind of get the hunch he wants to play. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, But I will say, Georgia's depth has taken a little bit of a hit as they have had 18 different players enter the transfer portal since the season ended. I don't think it's anybody that's earth shattering as far as how this game gets played, but it is worth noting. Makai Muse, their star skill position return guy is out. Brock Vandegrift, their backup quarterback is out. God willing, you know, knock on wood. Nobody's wishing ill will towards Carson Beck, but if something happens to him, you got to go to the third stringer, Gunnar Stockton. Um, And just a lot of the depth on this team was kind of sapped by the transfer portal. Now, in terms of this game itself, listen, If you listen to a show like this, you've probably watched Georgia a bunch this year, and you certainly have watched Florida State at least in that ACC championship game where they could not move the ball. And I do think, to me, there's two very interesting, very divergent questions in this game. The question 
pretty straightforward, is as follows. The questions to me are pretty simple. One, how does Georgia do against what is actually statistically the best defense that they have played all year? We'll get to that in a minute. And of course, can Florida State move the ball at all against an elite Georgia defense that, again, has NFL dudes all over? And so from the Florida State being able to move the ball on Georgia perspective, I'll be honest, I don't think there's a lot of new ground to cover there. Florida State's offense without Jordan Travis, it just was not very good. Um, you know, I went back and looked at the stats. I was kind of blown away by just how bad it was, okay? So in the two games that that there was no Jordan Travis, remember Tate Rodemaker did in theory at least play in the first game at least a little bit. Um, in those two games, uh, let's see here. Uh, the Florida State offense had 232 yards of total offense against Florida, 219 yards of total offense against Louisville, so they averaged about 225 or so yards, give or take. So that offense is not good. Now, it's worth noting a couple things. One, Rodemaker is expected back. And it was a little bit better with him than uh, than Brock Glenn, the, the, the third stringer. He did play well against North Alabama. Does that count for anything? An FCS team compared to freaking Georgia? I don't know. Uh, but I will say a couple other things. You know, some of the backups are, are really good players. Um, you know, Toa Feely, the backup running back. He was actually a, a bigger part of their win over Louisville in the conference championship game than Trey Benson was. Trey Benson's really good, but Jay Toafili, the backup, had 110 yards rushing in that game. So they've proven they can run the ball with or without uh, 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 Jordan Travis. Uh, and then from the Georgia perspective, let me say this. Everyone spent so much time focusing on how awful Florida State's offense is, and it is awful. I'm not, I was not one of those people that thought that Florida State really deserve to be in the college football playoff. Um, top four, I don't think you can argue they were one of the four best teams in college football without Jordan Travis. But what I did say, coming out of the ACC championship game, Florida State fans, before you get mad at me, yell and scream, throw stuff at your screens, throw your TV out the window, however you're consuming this content. I will say this. When there was talk that Florida State would get in over Bama, I did say after the ACC championship game, I said, everyone's so focused on the offense. The defense is really, really, really good. And I said, if, if Florida State is that number 14, they won't embarrass themselves. Like there have been teams that go to the college football playoff and just get embarrassed. Michigan State a few years ago when they played Bama. Um, uh, you know, Cincinnati, with due respect, did not belong on the same field uh, as, as Bama when they played them. And I said with Florida State, if they get in, they won't get embarrassed because the defense is so good. Now, I don't know if the offense can move the ball, but the defense is really good. And that's what I think isn't getting talked about enough in this game. Georgia's really good, but they aren't as elite across the board as they have been. Specifically, they don't run the ball very well. Carson Beck was so good that I think it got a little overshadowed that the run game really did struggle for Georgia this year. Uh, they finished the season 41st in rush offense which again, part of it is the quarterback play was really good, but part of it was the run game was not good. Georgia is coming off the worst performance of the year in the SEC championship game, and it is worth noting against the best defense that they played all year, the Alabama Crimson Tide. And so in that game, they had 321 yards of total offense. It was their lowest output of the, of, of basically of, of the entire season, and it was against the best defense they played all year. Why am I bringing it up? It is because statistically, Florida State was actually better than Alabama was this year on the defensive side of the football. And I know what everyone will say, oh, it's the ACC, everybody stinks. And like, I can't argue that the ACC was, was, was very good this year. But it is worth noting that LSU game to start the year, that LSU offense that nobody in the SEC could slow down. Jaden Daniels won the Heisman Trophy because he put up, you know, even in losing efforts, he was putting up 40, 50 points. But, you know, puts up 49 points against uh, Ole Miss. Puts up, you know, whatever. It was 28-28 when he got hurt against Bama. You go on and on down the list. The guy scored out everybody. They could not move the ball against this Florida State team. And so when I look at this game, George, I think everybody's just handing them this game on a silver platter. I think this Florida State defense is going to be ready. I think they're going to be focused, and that leads into my pick. This is a betting pod if, if you're watching it, you know, whatever. Bottom line, if I had to make a best bet in this game, what I would say is my best bet is actually the under a 44 and a half. I know it's not sexy. I know it's not fun. I do think Georgia wins this game, 
But I don't think they just move the ball up and down the field on this Florida State team. This Florida State defense is real. Uh, it is worth noting, by the way, the kid um, Patrick Payton, the, the 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 elite edge player, who like went on Twitter and said, "I'm transferring." Sorry, Knoll Nation. He's back with the team practicing, and most of that defense is rested and ready to go. There will be no Jared Verse. But I bring it up, by the way, for people who are watching this individual clip as opposed to listening to the pod. Uh, we recorded this right before Christmas, so again. Uh, there might be some new information about opt-outs, but I just bring it up to very simply say this defense is going to come ready to play. My official pick is Georgia 24, Florida State 14, but my best bet, if I was going to the window and making a wager, it would be the under. Let's go to another really, in my opinion, interesting game in bowl season that doesn't involve the college football playoff. I want to talk about the Cotton Bowl which is Friday, December 29th. The game is obviously being played at Jerry World. The Ohio State Buckeyes taking on the Missouri Tigers. Missouri was a two-and-a-half-point favorite early in the process. As I'm recording, they're down to a one-point favorite, so money is coming in on Ohio State. And I kind of have a take on this game. I think it's kind of must-win for Ryan Day. I'll explain in a minute. Before we get to it, though, the big news coming into this one, every bowl game has a narrative outside of the narrative. It's the debut of Devin Brown as your Ohio State starting quarterback, right? So you come out of the Michigan game, you lose for a third straight year, Kyle McCord throws two interceptions. And what becomes obvious is that, fair or not, he's kind of the fall guy for what happened against Ohio State, or against Michigan. Now, I watched that game. I thought it was a joint effort in losing to Michigan. I thought Ryan Day coached scared. I thought the defense on the biggest drive of the year, Michigan took seven minutes off the clock. And I thought Kyle McCord wasn't very good throwing two interceptions in that game. And I thought all season long, he was not good. So for people, well, you clearly didn't watch him all year. I know he's not CJ Stroud. I know he's not Justin Fields. I get all that. I didn't think he was the biggest reason why he lost the game, but whatever. It's clear that he was the guy that is being blamed for it. And so because of it, uh, he is now uh, a member of the Syracuse Orange. Shout out to Syracuse, who is, by the way, all of a sudden very interesting. But I just bring it up because he is out as the starting quarterback. Devin Brown is in. Devin Brown got major snaps in the first two games of the season. 12 of 22 passing, 197 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. So not a ton of game experience. But listen, he was a very highly touted player, was committed to USC, decommitted, ended up at Ohio State. It's not as though he can't play quarterback. So that's the big story. But the other big story, and again, I'm recording here just a day or two before Christmas, so stuff is changing. It's a little uncertain. Is Ohio State going to have all their dudes for this game? Because to me, I look at it, you know, we just talked about Florida State, Georgia. Florida State is like angry, prove the world wrong. Georgia's kind of in that middle ground where they lost some guys. And I think Ohio State's kind of in that mix as well. Because Ohio State did lose 15, 16, 17 guys to the portal. But it sounds like all their dudes might play. We know Emeka Abuka is playing. He's already said that. Uh, as I record, there is no word on Travion Henderson. There is no word on Marvin Harrison Jr. But I did think it was worth noting that Denzel Burke, the star uh, defensive back, he in a press conference early right before Christmas said, we think all our guys are going to be there. So that's obviously something to keep an eye on. The money is coming in on Ohio State. And listen, we know who Ohio State is even with a new quarterback. If all those dudes are playing, guess what? It's game on because obviously the defense was elite last this this past season, top five in pretty much every major statistical category. The skill position guys are certainly there. The run game when Travion Henderson was healthy was phenomenal, but the quarterback play wasn't good enough. And so if Devin Brown is the dude that every Ohio State fan says he is, then I think there's a pretty good chance that they look good, they put up points. And oh, by the way, even if Marvin Harrison doesn't play in this game, doesn't it kind of have the vibe of the Rose Bowl two years ago? which doubled as Marvin Harrison's breakout game. Remember that game? Uh, no Garrett Wilson, no Chris Olave. So Marvin Harrison it gets his first real playing time, and he has like seven catches, including three touchdowns or whatever it was. Jackson Smith and Jigba, they beat Utah a lot. It was like 45-41 in that game. So even if Marvin Harrison doesn't play, could be a breakout game for Carnell Tate, for Brandon Innes, for whoever. Uh, so I think it's kind of interesting. We kind of know who Ohio State is. We're not sure who's playing. But I'd also like to see some of those young wide receivers get some more reps would be very fascinated to watch that. From the Missouri perspective, I'll just say, like, we can make fun of Eli Drinkwitz. 
and trust me, everybody does. That guy, like, I think he did a heck of a coaching job this year. Remember, they were coming off what a six and six season. He got an extension. A lot of people thought the 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 De, uh, you know Desiree Reed Francois, the AD, was crazy giving him an extension. Thought he did a heck of a coaching job. And the thing that stands out to me about them is two things. One, they're very battle tested. They play in the SEC, and I know the SEC was maybe a little bit overrated this year, but they played at Georgia. They played LSU at home. They played Tennessee at home. Uh, in the non-conference, they played a good Kansas State team. They played a Memphis team that was a factor in the AAC. So they've played a lot of really good competition. Beyond that, they're just a really balanced football team. They're a team that with Brady Cook had one of the best passing offenses in all of college football this past season. But then also Cody Schrader on the defensive side of the ball um, was, or Cody Schrader in the run game was elite as well. He was one of the best running backs in all of college football. So balanced on offense. I know that statistically the defense was not great, um, but I also think it is worth noting. They did play five of the top 30 offenses in college football this year. LSU, you may have heard of them. They were pretty darn good. Georgia, Carson Beck, an elite offense this year, even though, as I just said, the run game was not great. Uh, Memphis, really good offense. Kansas State, really good offense. Tennessee, top 30 offense in college football. So they're battle-tested. They've played a lot of – that's the thing that stands out. Not just good teams, but different styles. LSU throwing the ball all over the field. Georgia, kind of a balanced attack. You know, Memphis, kind of more that passing. So I, I just bring it up because they played a lot of different teams, a lot of different types of styles. And as we head into this game, I think I like our guy, Eli. Now, by the way, I think the over should be very much considered here because I think they're going to be able to move the ball on that Ohio State team. But one thing about Ohio State – well, there's really two things. The first one with Ohio State. The defense was elite. I'm not taking that taking anything away from them as far as that's concerned. But you look at the offenses that they played. Who is the top offense that they played all season long at Ohio State? You know, Michigan finished in the top, barely in the top 70. Maryland finished at, at 57. I guess Western Kentucky would be it. So it's not to say that that Ohio State's defense isn't good. But how many elite offenses did they play over the course of this season? Wasn't very many. Missouri is the 24th ranked total offense in all of college football. That is the best offense that they have played statistically all season long. So I think there is something to that. I think it's worth noting the Missouri defense, they ain't going to be intimidated by Devin Brown. Not when they've seen Jaden Daniels, not when they've seen Carson Beck, not when they've seen the Tennessee offense. So this is, in theory, the best offense that Ohio State has seen all year. Maybe the most dynamic, most balanced, whatever. Again, Missouri, by the way, is ranked. Uh, where are they ranked here? I just want to make sure I have this right. In terms of total offense, Missouri is number 24 nationally. For comparison's sake, Maryland was 57. Michigan, Michigan was 69. Penn State was 61. So it's an elite offense. And I don't know that Ohio State's faced anyone quite as dynamic, but then on the flip side, Missouri ain't going to be scared of that Ohio State offense when Ohio State's offense is on the field. The other thing, I'll be blunt. I, I'll say this. There's not many times in life that I am genuinely shocked by a reaction of a fan base, of a school, of a whatever. I am stunned the reaction of Ohio State fans over the last three, four weeks to that Michigan loss. Because while I will not sit here and say that Kyle McCord was great or even good in that game, he wasn't the reason that they lost, in my opinion. The two interceptions were crushing. I get it. But again, he's forcing throws in the final minute because his defense could not get off the field when they needed to when Michigan had the ball late in the game. And so you force Kyle McCord out. He takes all the blame. Ryan Day takes none of it. None of it's Ryan Day's fault. It's all on Kyle McCord. He's not the guy. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. You know what that reminds me of? People forget this now. But a year ago, a lot of the stuff that people were saying about Kyle McCord, now, they were saying about C.J. Stroud going into that bowl game against Georgia. Remember, last year in that semifinal, everyone thought Georgia was going to win because why? We thought C.J. Stroud was soft. Oh, he's not good enough. He's not this. He's not that. Then C.J. Stroud was like, screw you, and he balled out. And by the way, he's been balling out in the NFL the entire season. And so it's kind of wild because last year it was like, oh, I don't know if C.J. Stroud's got that dog in him. Well, he's got the dog in him. Then Kyle McCord comes in. Well, Kyle McCord definitely doesn't have that dog in him. 
But Devin Brown, he's the guy. Devin Brown's the guy. He's the difference maker. And so it's like, to me, it just blows my mind. It's like, so basically what, you tell, what you're telling me is the guy that led you to an 11-1 season that beat out Devin Brown for the spot. No, he's not the answer. But the guy that could not take the job in fall camp in the first and second game, that guy is the answer. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. Think about it. Devin Brown, in fall camp, there was talk that he was leading the quarterback battle, and that may have been true. But then he got put into the Indiana game. Didn't really do anything. Then he got put into the second game of the year. Didn't really do anything. And by the third game, Ryan Day was like, I got to roll with Kyle McCord because we got Notre Dame in two weeks from now. And so I just bring it up because I, 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 I like, I, I don't get why Devin Brown is suddenly the answer when he wasn't the answer three months ago. I know guys get better, but I just, I, I don't get it. And so I'm fascinated by it. I, I don't understand the Devin Brown love. And if I had to make a pick, I like Missouri. I do think the over is going to be in play here, but I think Missouri wins probably like, what, 28, 24, something like that. Is that the over? Yeah, that'd be over. That'd be 52. I think the over is probably the best bet, but I also like the Missouri money line. I don't understand the fascination with Ohio State and specifically Devin Brown. Maybe he proves me wrong. If he proves me wrong, go to the comments section and tell me how wrong I was next week, Ohio State fans. I just don't see it. All right, everybody. I'm back. Gonna be back. Gonna be back. Uh, let's get to some of these other big bowl games. Uh, you know, I'll just say this is that for all the criticism that we see about non-playoff bowl games on social media, uh, I think that a lot of these matchups are really fun. The Orange Bowl, we just talked about. The Cotton Bowl, I think it's a pseudo must-win for Ryan Day. You know what other game is very interesting to me? The Peach Bowl, 12 Eastern. That would be on the 30th, Saturday the 30th. So I just mentioned the Florida State-Georgia game is a 4 p.m. kickoff. Well, the game that precedes it, it is Ole Miss versus Penn State in the Peach Bowl. Kind of interesting to think about a year from now. Both of these teams are in the top 12. This is what kind of that first round of the college football playoff will look like a year from now. Uh, but they're playing in the Peach Bowl, and I'm a little bit surprised to see this. Penn State is a four-point favorite. In this game in the DraftKings Sportsbook, the over-under set at 48. And why I'm kind of surprised, uh, you know, Penn State, I, what, I mean, what can we say about Penn State that hasn't already been said? Listen, they're not a bad program. They're probably, frankly, the envy of about 120 other programs in college football. The problem is the gap between them and the upper, 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 upper squads, like we kind of know what it is. This was another year just like last year where they finished 10 and two in the regular season, win all the games that they're supposed to. And in the games that matter the most Michigan and Ohio state, they do not have success. And so that's what their track record is. That is who they are. It is worth noting. Again, when we go to a 12 team playoff era, 10 and two in the big 10 is going to get you into the college football playoff if they can do it again. But of course, obviously next year, there's going to be some other competition in the league as well with Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, whatever, you kind of get the point. As far as who Penn State is, you know, the cool thing about doing shows like this, this late in the year, you don't need me to tell you. Elite defensively, the offense is, eh, you know, I don't know how to say it nicely. Defense, though, is something special. Top three in basically every category that matters. Number one, total defense in college football. Give about 223 yards per game. Number three, scoring defense in college football. Elite against the run, elite against the pass, top three nationally in both categories. So this defense across the board was unbelievable. The offense, well, the run game was good. Nick Singleton is awesome. Katron Allen is awesome. The pass game still leaving a little bit to be desired. Drew Aller, five-star kid. I think we all thought he was going to be a step up from Sean Clifford. He was kind of whatever, wasn't he? 23 touchdowns, one interception. That's great but 63% completion percentage, not a lot of deep balls. Um, you know, listen, about six and a half yards per completion. That is by no means elite. And I don't think that's what any of us signed up for in year one of the Drew Aller era. Now, the good news is he's got at least one more year of eligibility. He's not a finished product yet, but this offense wasn't quite as explosive as we expected. One offense that you don't got to worry about being explosive. That is, of course, Ole Miss coming off a 10-2 season. And it's kind of interesting, the, 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 the dynamic of the two programs, right? Penn State going 10-2 and two, but losing their two biggest games. Little bit of a disappointment because you kind of thought, okay, they're, they're finally maybe on an even playing field with, with, with Michigan and Ohio State. 
Ole Miss is kind of the exact opposite. I think Lane Kiffin, historic, compared to the history, Lane Kiffin has largely overachieved at Ole Miss. This year, the only two games he lost were the two games that he had, had a decided talent disadvantage at Georgia, at Bama, and they beat everybody else on the schedule. We'll give him credit. I think he is doing an amazing job at this job, and I'll give credit to somebody else too. I was not sold on Jackson Dart coming into this year. I'll take it a step further. I'm not sold that Lane Kiffin was sold on Jackson Dart coming into this year. And you know how I know? It's because Lane Kiffin signed two transfer quarterbacks a year ago. This last offseason, Walker Howard, uh, Spencer Sanders, both were signed to come in and compete with Jackson Dart for the job. Jackson Dart gets the job. Jackson Dart wins the job. Throws for 2,900 yards, 20 touchdowns. And credit to Kiffin. The run game is humming with Quinshawn Judkins and Ulysses Bentley. And oh, by the way, the wide receiver room, I thought, came together very nicely. Trey Harris, you know, big time transfer. The tight end transfer, I believe, was from Memphis. So they did a very good job of developing guys within that program. Defense, not elite, but they also face some very good offenses. LSU. Number one offense in the country. Uh, Georgia had a very good offense this year. You know, I listen, you'll laugh when I say this, but even like a Georgia Tech statistically had a pretty good offense this season. You go on and on down the list. Um, again, the defense wasn't great, but part of it was they faced some pretty good offenses overall. By the way, Georgia Georgia Tech was a top 30 uh, total, total offense. So if you're going to make fun of me, just understand that the offense was pretty good this year for the Yellow Jackets. Bring it all up to say... When I look at this game, we know who both teams are. I would argue the strength of Penn State is definitely the defense. The strength of Ole Miss is the offense. Normally, I'd give the advantage to the defense. Not, not. not I don't want to say I'd give the advantage to the defense, but, but normally I can see where Penn State would be favored in this game. My big thing is I am just so not sold on Penn State's offense at all that I do like Ole Miss to pull off the upset. I'll just, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I like the Ole Miss money line of plus four, and let me explain why. Obviously, the big question is, you know, immaculate force versus the immovable object. The immaculate force being that Ole Miss offense, the immovable object being the Penn State defense. And when I look at that, this is what I see. I see an Ole Miss offense that has faced great defenses this year and had some success. I don't know that Penn State has faced an offense quite like Ole Miss's, though. So from the Ole Miss perspective, think about this. They have faced three of the top 15 total defenses in college football, Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M. The two true road games they struggled, but against Texas A&M, they put up 38 points at home. And so you have a neutral crowd, probably a little bit of a lean towards Ole Miss with the game in Atlanta. They've seen great defenses. They've seen Texas A&M. They've seen uh, Alabama. They've seen Georgia. Here's my question, though. I just asked it in the Cotton Bowl. Has that Penn State defense faced an offense like Ole Miss because I'm sorry I'm here to tell you that they have it as a matter of fact I went ahead and looked it up Penn State on the season faced a grand total of one top 35 offense all season long that was West Virginia in week one of the year and then they didn't face the top 35 offense all year how about this though they did face five bottom 35 offenses in college football. Indiana was ranked 101st nationally. Rutgers was ranked 123rd nationally. Northwestern ranked 124th nationally. Michigan State 128th nationally. And how about Iowa coming in dead last 133rd nationally? And so I just bring it up to very simply say, I don't know that Penn State has faced an offense quite like this. I think Ole Miss will be able to move the ball as well as anybody has on Penn State this year. And I just don't believe in this Penn State offense at all. Also worth noting, by the way, with the Penn State defense, no Chop Robinson who's opted out of this game. But I think this is more important. No Manny Diaz, the defensive coordinator, pulled all the strings. Uh, you know, maybe the best defensive coordinator in college football this past season. He has since taken the Duke head coaching job. He will not be here because of it. I like Oh Miss. Let's keep the party going. Listen, there's one more. Um, there's one more. Um, whatchamacallit, uh, uh, a New Year's Six Bowl game. If you want the deep dive on Liberty versus Oregon, you're going to have to go somewhere else. Listen, Liberty's really good. Jamie Chadwell, he's been on the Aaron Torres pod once or twice. He's really good at what he does. Oregon, you know Oregon's deal. I think it's interesting that Bo Nix is playing in this game. So I do think you'll get a very good effort from Oregon. 
If I had to lean anything, I saw the over under was 66 and a half. I think, I think Liberty is going to be able to put up some points. I would still probably lean Oregon to, to, to not only win, but to cover. I ain't betting that one though. And, 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 you know, that's part of this show, right? I don't give you picks that I wouldn't bet myself and that I don't bet myself. So let's go to the final game that I kind of feel pretty good about. That is the Alamo. Remember the Alamo? Torres does. Arizona versus Oklahoma. How about this? Kind of an interesting line here. Arizona. The Wildcats. Nine and three coming into this game. They are actually the three-point favorite, a three-point favorite over Oklahoma. The over-under set at 62 and a half. Couple thoughts on this one coming in. One, first of all, remember this, kind of an interesting fun fact. Last year, remember who played in this game? It was Texas and Washington. It was a college football playoff preview a year ahead of schedule. Who could have guessed it? Well, it ended up happening. I think it's sort of worth noting. We just talked about the college football playoff preview uh, with Penn State Ole Miss. I think both Oklahoma and Arizona could be in the mix next year because Arizona's 9-3. and three. They return basically everybody. Oklahoma returns quite a bit. And that includes, and this is the big story coming into this one, Jackson Dart, the new starting quarterback. So for people who don't follow this stuff religiously, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people were kind of surprised to see Dylan Gabriel enter the transfer portal. And I saw all sorts of speculation of, oh, is it NIL? How much is Oregon offering? And listen, I don't think Dylan Gabriel is playing for charity. I don't think he's playing for free. But the reason that Dylan Gabriel is not the quarterback at Oklahoma in this game and won't be next year is because Oklahoma basically told him, we got this five-star kid waiting in the wings, Jackson Arnold. He was a five-star in last year's recruiting class. Um, He played sparingly this year, but he was brought in to be the guy to lead Oklahoma into the SEC. And so now we get him in his first career start in this game. And bluntly, I'm really excited to see him in this game. Five-star, big arm. It'll be interesting to see. Remember, we just talked about it in the Peach Bowl. Everyone talks about Penn State's defense. Well, no Manny Diaz for Penn State. And then for Oklahoma, not only is it a new quarterback, new play caller as well. Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator, left to take the Mississippi State head coaching job. So that's worth monitoring there. It is worth noting the Oklahoma defense, it's getting better under Brent Venables. It was literally the worst defense in the Big 12 last year. This year they are better, but they are not elite by any stretch of the imagination um, as they finished basically really, you know, kind of essentially middle of the pack in the Big 12 uh, total defense. They were, they finished uh, 80th nationally, so that's not ideal. And then I think it is worth noting, a as a pass defense, they ranked 100th nationally, and they're going up against a very good Arizona Wildcats passing attack. For people who are not familiar with Arizona or don't really ha- know how they got to 9-3, and three, I'll say this bluntly, it was one of the great stories in college football this year. And one thing about college football, because we have this four-team playoff, I think sometimes we get so wrapped up and it's the teams that are going to make the playoff that we don't see and appreciate great stories that don't involve the playoff. Well, Arizona is one of them. They were 5-7 and seven last year, 1-11 the year before in Jed Fish's first year, now 9-3. and three. So by the way, four-win four increase next year. They go 13 and whatever next year, that'd be pretty darn good. But 1-11 to 5-7 and seven to 9-3 and three this year. And a couple reasons why. One, through sort of dumb luck, they had a quarterback change from Jaden Delora to Noah Fafita. For people who don't know the backstory, Jaden Delora was a transfer from Washington State, really good there, played well last year, but he gets hurt. Noah Fafita comes in, and it's basically a Wally Pip situation. Never gave the job back. Loses to Washington by a touchdown. Then loses to USC in triple overtime. And even at that point, Jed Fish was non-committal as far as like when Jaden Delora comes back, we plan on putting him back in. But once Noah Fafita got that job, he never gave it up. They beat Washington State from there. They end up winning six games in a row to end the season. And where it's especially interesting, four of those teams were ranked when Arizona played them. So listen, the Pac-12 was good this year. Can't sit there and say, well, it was the lousy Pac-12. They beat four teams that were ranked when they played them. Washington State, Oregon State, UCLA, and Utah. Took care of Arizona State, took care of Colorado. You may have heard of them with Coach Prime. And so they took care of business down the back half of the season. Beyond the offense, by the way, Fafita is a very good player. If you haven't watched him, he's small. He's about 5'10", 5'11", but 74% completion percentage, 
23 touchdowns in limited time. His high school teammate, T-Mac, Tatoria McMillan, a star. That is like a, a true difference maker. Was like a high four-star coming out of high school. Was originally committed to Oregon. When Mario Cristobal decided to leave for Miami, he decommitted and ended up at Arizona, one of the highest rated recruits they've had in a long time. So there is talent on that Arizona team. But more importantly, thought Fish did a very good job of cleaning up the defense this year. Last year, they were ranked like 127th nationally or something like that uh, in total defense. This year, they were they moved up to 37th nationally. And again, remember the teams they played. They played Washington. They played at USC. They played Colorado, which could move the football. They played Washington State, the number six total offense in college football, held them to six points. So this defense is tested. This defense is ready. And I think this defense is going to show a lot of people how good it is when they play Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl. As a matter of fact, this is an official AT best bet. I do like Arizona to win and cover in this game. Bottom line is one, I just think Arizona is a really good team. And sometimes you can tell with teams, they like being around each other. It's so obvious there's good team chemistry in that locker room. You know, Jed Fish, I think he was at least contacted about coaching jobs. Doesn't feel like he really seriously considered anything else. Uh, I don't know if he officially signed the extension, but one is certainly coming his way. But that's just a locker room that you could tell loves being around each other, and they just got better and more confident every single week. As far as Oklahoma, I think there's a couple things. One, it's worth noting that pass defense was not very good this year. And the one thing about Fafita, you give him time in the pocket, he is going to make the right play every single, not every single time, but pretty much every single time. Uh, beyond that, and this is important, I think not only having a first-time starting quarterback in this game, but also having a first-time starting quarterback with a first-time starting play caller, I think that is a recipe for disaster, especially, again, against an Arizona defense that faced some really good quarterbacks and some really good offenses this year. You think Arizona is going to be worried about the uh, 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 Oklahoma passing attack because Jackson Arnold's a five-star after they face Caleb Williams, after they face Michael Penix, after they face Cam Ward, after they face Michael Penix? I do not see it. So in the end, go ahead and give me Arizona to win this game. I'll say 31-24 is your final. Arizona wins and covers. Listen, the rest of the bowl games... They're all largely stayaways to me. I don't feel great about any of them. Let's just rip through some of them quick. Uh, we do have, uh, let's start here. Where should we start? Listen, I mentioned the the, the Fiesta Bowl earlier. Um, that is not a game that I will be betting personally. Oregon is a 17-point favorite over, um, over Liberty. Uh, if you have a great feel for Liberty, Oregon, feel free to bet it. I'm staying away. You know, just looking at some other games on the schedule. Uh, let's just look here really quick. I'm just trying to find some that may be of interest. Listen, Holiday Bowl, Louisville, USC, total stay away to me. You know, this feels like a circle the wagons game for Lincoln Riley where everyone's given up on him. Awful, awful end of the season. Awful transfer portal cycle. Bunch of guys leaving. Awful national signing day. So Louisville's going to win, right? And then USC goes out and puts up 42 points and whatever. Stay away to me. It is an intriguing game, though. If USC comes out and lays a total egg, whew, that could be a disaster for them. So that game is next. Uh, let's see here. Just want to make sure to confirm the date. That is next Wednesday, the 27th. Wednesday, the 27th is also the uh, Mayo Bowl. The no, It's not the Mayo Bowl anymore. It's the Military Bowl, excuse me. North Carolina versus West Virginia. No Drake May in that one, so it's a stay away. The Texas Bowl, Texas A&M versus Oklahoma State, kind of a fun old-school Big 12 rivalry. Texas A&M's a two-point favorite over under 53. Obviously, the story there, Texas A&M has lost a lot of people since the season ended. Um, you know, the J Jalen Henderson kid is going to get the start. No strong feel there. Uh, I think it's going to be high scoring. I would probably take Oklahoma to win outright. Uh, keep it going. Rutgers versus Miami in the the uh, uh, the pinstripe bowl. The lean there would be Rutgers. It's about a pick them. Remember, Miami basically doesn't have a quarterback right now. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke transferred out. Emory Williams is hurt. Rutgers plays real defense. I would lean Rutgers. You would think they would have a uh, home field advantage as well with the game being played in New York City. We mentioned the Alamo Bowl really quickly as we head to the 29th, which is next Friday. We mentioned the Cotton Bowl with Ohio State-Missouri. 
But a couple other ones worth noting. Clemson and Kentucky in the uh, in the Gator Bowl. You know, listen, one thing I'll say, Dabo does usually rally the troops pretty good. Clemson's a five-point favorite. I would lean Clemson. The Tony the Tiger uh, Sun Bowl. Notre Dame is a six-point favorite over Oregon State. No strong lean there. If you have a strong lean in a game featuring a backup quarterback for Notre Dame versus basically a backup team and coaching staff for Oregon State, by all means, take it. But I am totally, totally, totally staying away from that one. Liberty Bowl, kind of interesting. Memphis playing Iowa State. It's a home game for Memphis, so I'm curious to see how they do there. Uh, Auburn, Maryland in Nashville. Auburn's a seven-point favorite. Remember, two, uh, Talia Tonga Viola will not be playing for Maryland. Lean is Auburn there, but I will not be betting it. Uh, and then quickly, uh, the the thirty uh, New Year's Day, excuse me, Wisconsin versus LSU. No Jaden Daniels. Wisconsin itself is down to a third-string quarterback. Tennessee versus Iowa. If you bet this game, remember, you got to watch Iowa, so that's kind of a, a no-show for me. And then again, the Liberty Bowl at, on uh, New Year's Day leads into the college football playoff Sugar Bowl, or excuse me, the uh, the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Air Sports Podcast. I do think it is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, subscribe on YouTube. We're at about 32,000 subscribers on YouTube. Cannot thank you all enough for your support. Uh, Make sure to tell a friend, share with a friend. We do good work here, fun work here. I think we have a pretty good time talking sports, so make sure to do so. That's all for today's show. We'll be back Wednesday with a normal show. There is plenty to discuss, and I can't wait to get back into it as we break down everything that we have missed over the last couple days. Time for me to go, though. Appreciate your support. I will be back tomorrow. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice, and she sure does. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. Also, shout out Pat McAfee. You need to unblock me too, bro. I like your show. I was watching it the other day. I'll be back on tomorrow. New episode, Aaron Torres Pod.